Amen. You may be seated. We can say amen. It just means let it be, let it be. Now, I know, I know that some of you uh, are ready. If you're ready for some, uh, some word today, some good words, say, I'm ready. ready. Oh, come on. Are you ready? ready? All right, here we go. So I know you find it hard to believe, but Renee and I have been together 28 years of marital bliss. Yes, marital bliss. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't always that way. Back when we were dating, uh, you know, we went through a little rough patch. I said some things I shouldn't have said. Can you imagine that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot. So, yeah, so I said some things I shouldn't have said, and uh, so we kind of took a little break for a little while, and then I, I sensed, I just sensed, it was like my preacher sensed that she was missing me. <laughs> and... Uh, I, I don't know why y'all are laughing, because it could happen, all right? So I, I uh, called her up. She didn't block me on the phone. This is before cell phones. You couldn't block a number there. You know, the old way of blocking was you just took your phone off the, you know, remember that? It was attached to a wall. Some of you need to look it up. Anyhow. So I, I, I called her up, and uh, she answered the phone. Hello? And I said, are you lonesome tonight? Do you miss me tonight? Are you sorry we drifted apart? And she hung up. Yeah. <laughs> but I called back. I called back. Yeah, yeah. Anyone here ever get lonely? Anyone here not want to raise your hand because you get lonely? Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. There's all kinds of studies on this. They're doing a lot of studies on this. There's psychologist Conklin just released a study that said 34% of Americans will eat alone tonight. And eating alone is particularly terrible for your health. The study, now check out this study. They found people who dined solo at least twice a day were more likely to have metabolic syndrome. That's a cluster of high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and diabetes compared to those who dined with others. Now, so the first point is to make sure when you go out to eat, you eat with somebody else. Okay, that's the first point of today's message. So turn to your neighbor and say, let's go eat together. Go ahead and say that right now. Yeah, there you go. Here's the truth. Here's the truth about you and me. We are more connected today by technology than we've ever been, but we're lacking in the connections that matter the most, and that's human interaction, right? You may have 4,000. I got 3,000 Facebook friends. I don't know. I got like 10 of them are real friends, okay? Are you with me? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, it's gotten so bad, especially with COVID, there's Two governments have actually addressed this. They've actually installed ministers of loneliness. In the J Japan and the United Kingdom, they actually have ministers that deal nothing with stopping people from feeling lonely, committing suicide, all those sort of things. And last year, there's this guy that popped up during COVID named Shoji Moroto, and he gets paid 96 bucks an hour. Anybody want to make 96 bucks an hour? That's pretty good money. Yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah. Offering would go up. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, uh, Soji, uh, he, he just put himself out there. He said, if you need someone to talk to, if you need someone to just to walk with you, if you need someone to help you file divorce papers, I'm there. And that's what he did for 96 bucks an hour. And his schedule is full. It continues to be full. All he does is minister to people who are lonely. And his schedule is full. People pay him. Now, the weird thing is there's a difference between solitude and loneliness, Solitude with God can lead to growth, right? Sometimes you need to get alone with just you and God, amen, right? But that's different than loneliness. So we're in our fourth week 
so if you're just showing up today, we're in the fourth week talking about Elijah, the older prophet, and the younger prophet, Elijah. Now, we're going to look at today the older prophet, and Elijah was definitely singing, the older prophet was definitely singing some Elvis. He was a lonely prophet, and lonely prophets had a lonely job. So let me just recap a little bit of history real quick. You, it's not that much. Don't worry. Renee says I lose you during this time. I say no. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> Renee's always right. Yes. I heard that. I'm never giving her rebuttal Sunday. No, no. When Elijah was alive, okay, the older prophet, the northern kingdom had endured uh, 19 consecutive evil kings, 19 guys that were no good, and it was over a 200-year period. In fact, there was an evil king named Ahab, and the scripture says he was the worst king they'd ever seen. And they did a lot of terrible things. Like these kings would say, let's all have child sacrifice. And so they would encourage everyone to take their child, and they would sacrifice them to a false god. And so people hated this, right? Imagine uh, you have to go kill your kid. This is not good. So scripture says under Ahab's reign that he was more evil than anyone before him. So this is a very dark time of corruption, And God does what God often does during uh, periods of corruption. He says, hey, enough is enough. And interestingly enough, God did not raise up an army or even a nation to take a stand against the evil king. God raises up one person. Now you think about this. Oftentimes in today's world, God raises up one person to take a stand. God may raise up a teenage girl to take a stand. God may raise up a young business leader to take a stand and conduct business with integrity. God often is into raising up one person that can make a big difference. Think about this. Think about Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, and his fight for civil rights in our country. About That was one person. And he didn't want to. If you know his story, he just wanted to be a professor like his dad. But he raised him up. And think about Billy Graham. Think about, heck, we can even apply it to Elon Musk who made sure the Ukrainians had internet. I love that. Right? right? They don't have internet, Russians, but I'll send you over some equipment. In one day, it's there. We need Elon Musk to run the government. Hello? (laughs) Or think about the leader of Ukraine right now, Zelensky. This guy is is like Churchill. I mean, he is is very brave. He could have been whisked away to safety and freedom and lived in Dubai somewhere. And what does he do? He says, I'm not going anywhere. I I need ammunition. I'm fighting for my country. And I love what he said when the Russians attacked. When you attack us, you will not see our backs. You'll see our faces. Hello? That's courage. So God often raises up one person. So we're going to look at the making of a man or woman of God. And so I want to start with the understanding. Does anyone here know what the name Elijah means? Does anyone here know what your name means? (laughs) Right? Before you were born, your parents got out a little book, and they're like, oh, let's name him. Johnny, yeah. You ever looked up your name, what it means? You know what my name means? I can't forget it. God's gift. <laughs> Some things are just truth, you know, what can I say? Ask Renee what her name means. Anyhow, all right. <laughs> it's better than mine. If you're taking notes, very literally, the name Elijah means the Lord is Jehovah. My God is Jehovah. The Lord is my God. So immediately, God raises up a prophet, and the prophet is not saying, look at me. He's saying, look at God, because God is my God. The Lord is my God. In other words, I'm not worshiping Baal. I'm not doing what King Ahab wants. 
So that's how he's identified. This is sort of like saying, hey, John Roberts is from Texas. And we learned this about him. Now, verse 1. Now, Elijah, or Elijah, the Tishbite from Gilead. That's, he's identified right away from where he's from. Now, hold on to that because we're going to come back in 23 verses and he's going to be identified in a different way. Okay, this will change. So he said to King Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve. So he's going right after the false gods. I'm going, I'm going to worship the real gods, right? The Lord who lives, whom I serve, he says, there'll be no dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. No more rain. Now, if this was a movie, this is where it would go ba-bum-bump, okay? This is where it'd be like, oh, that's really, really bad. Because one of the most strategic prophetic judgments a prophet could give against a land was to say, no more rain. Now, during COVID, what was the worst thing about COVID besides millions of people dying was, of course, a thing called economic shutdown, right? Right? You're everyone, you know, your job goes away. You, you, no one can come to the stores, blah, blah, blah. So in an agriculture-driven economy, no rain meant economic shutdown. This meant you couldn't get your money out of the bank. This meant you're not even going to lend money. No electricity, life as you know it. Unemployment's going to be 60, 70, 80 percent. People are going to be dying all over the place. And this prophet of God says, no more rain. Tremendous thing. This is sort of like a prophet saying to the king, okay, let's go. Let's hook them up. Let's fight. That's basically what he's saying. Everybody say, let's fight. You never thought you'd say that in church. All right, very good. But instead, God does something a little bit different. You think they're about to have a battle. But right after he makes this pronunciation of no more rain, he takes Elijah into a season of hiding, really a season of loneliness. God takes Elijah away so he can actually work on him and do things in him. Sometimes God will take you to a place you don't want to go so that he can do things in you. This isn't the popular sermon. This will not be on Joel Osteen today. But this is, this is what it's, is real. Okay, and so we're going to watch Elijah go through a season of preparation. Almost as if God's saying, there's so much more I need to do in you because there's so much I want to do through you. Right? Before God's going to do great things through you, he's going to have to work on you, right? Most of you are not, like, born ready. None of you are. Neither is the preacher. Hello? All right getting really quiet. But if you want to race your car on a track, you've got to prepare your car, right? You've got to get the right tires. You've got to put the right fuel. Same thing. God is going to prepare him. God takes Elijah through the season of preparatory work. God takes him through what I would call a season of isolated pain where he's very alone. So verse one, no more rain. Verse two, then immediately the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth ravine east of Jordan. So God wants him to hide. Could I get all of you to say this phrase, Kareth Ravine? Let's say it. All right. All right. Very good. Now, in a word, in the Hebrew word, Kareth, and I had to study Hebrew, so here I go. I'm going to share it. Kareth means, if you're taking notes, cut off. It means cut down. It means to be cut from the source of blessings, very literally like you would chop a tree down, okay? And you can almost sense God is saying, I'm going to take you through Elijah, a season of breaking. I'm going to break you. I'm going to cut you down. I'm going to humble you. I'm going to teach you to be totally dependent on me, and I'm going to humble you privately before I use you publicly. I'm going to do something in you that's so deep that later on, you're going to be able to do more than you ever could imagine. 
In other words, it takes things to happen in your life to build faith. Does this make sense? Somebody say amen. Right? A lot of times people are in what I would call the Kareth Ravine. They're in a season of pain. How many of you have been through a season of pain in your life? All of us. Every one of us. How many of us in that season of pain ever said, hey, where's God? Has God forgotten my address? It feels a little alone here. And oftentimes when God is working in us, it can feel lonely, okay? Solitude and loneliness get confused. It's sort of like a little bird. I want to tell you a story, and, and uh, I didn't get a chance to tell this story in the 9 o'clock. I'm not even sure it's a 9 o'clock story, okay? Are you with me? But it's like a little bird. There's this... <laughs> This little bird was flying south for the winter. And I like this story for three reasons. One, it's gross. Two, it's sad. And three, it's funny. Three very good qualities for a terrible story. Are you all ready? All right, so the little bird, he's flying south for the winter. And he got off to a late start. And he's just a little baby bird. And he got caught up in a snowstorm. And the snow and the sleet was freezing. And it got on his little wings. And he started to freeze. And all of a sudden... He comes in for a crash landing, right? And the little birdie's just getting pelted by ice and snow, and he was so cold, and he was just frozen, and he couldn't fly, and pretty soon he's just on the ground, and he's being covered with snow. And he resigned himself to a horrible death and said, this is the worst thing ever. Isn't this a great story? Anyhow, the little birdie said, I'm going to freeze to death. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's a cow. And the cow comes along, (laughs) stood on top of the little birdie, and just dumped on him. This is the gross part of the story, in case you're wondering. (laughs) Just a load of manure falls on the little bird. And the little bird says, I thought it was bad. I thought I was going to freeze to death. Now I'm under a big pile of manure. It's the worst thing ever. My life's a pile of crap. Anyone ever felt like that? (laughs) And all of a sudden, the warmth of the manure started to cause his little frozen body to thigh out. And he started to shake his little wings. He's shaking his little wings. And, you know, he says, I may live. I may live. And he starts chirping. Chirp, 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 chirp. Come on, do it with me now. Chirp, 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 chirp. Yeah, he starts chirping. And all of a sudden, one of Satan's leading creatures, a cat, comes out of nowhere and hears the bird and eats him. That's the sad part of the story, in case you're wondering. (laughs) I love this story. Now, There are three lessons from this story. Lesson number one, everyone who drops manure on you is not your enemy, okay? Lesson number two, everyone who digs you out is not necessarily your friend. And lesson number three, when you're in a big pile of crap, keep your mouth shut, okay? There's the story. Some of you, that's all you'll remember from this sermon. You were like, yeah, I told a story about a bird that got crapped on, and yeah, all right. But this is living in the Kareth Ravine. Are you with me, right? You feel like everything is shut down. You're living in a pile of crap. I'm being broken. I'm being cut down. Those things I used to depend upon, like my own skill set and my talents and my gifts, I can no longer depend upon. I'm in the Kareth Ravine. And God says to Elijah, no, you've got to understand, I'm going to do something in you. There's preparatory work going on. I'm teaching you something you couldn't learn any other way. I'm doing this work in you so I can do something through you. So if you're going through a difficult time, if you're constantly around difficult people, you know one of the things I often do is I always say, God, what are you trying to teach me right now? 
What can I learn right now? What are you trying to teach this difficult person? Keep showing up in my life. Every Sunday, here they come. It's not any of you, somebody else. But you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Every time, here they come. And like a, I just see myself like the energy going down the drain. You have those people in your life? So ask yourself, God, you want me in touch with this person. What are you trying to teach me? So look, everyone, if you live long enough, and if you journey with God long enough, and if you're not just a... Uh, a fan of Jesus, if you actually become a follower of Jesus, and there's a lot of fans out there and few followers, if you become a follower of Jesus, you will go through a difficult time, many of them. I'll never forget when I got called to leave the Missouri church, and look, the church in Missouri, man, the wind was at my back, I had a great staff, lots of money, everything was going great, except I felt called to leave. And so I sat down with my mentor, he's a great man of God, I'm still in touch with my mentor, and he looks at me and he goes, and I, I'm, I'm thinking about coming here. And at this time on paper, uh, this church was not anything like my Missouri church. And that was also true in reality. Anyhow. So I sit down with my mentor. And, and, I, and he looks at me and he says, John, I've got one thing to tell you. Uh, if you start down this road and you take, take that calling to go to Grace Presbyterian and Corpus Christi, and this is 10 years ago, right? I got one thing to tell you. And I'm thinking, he's going to say, oh, God's going to use you. Oh, you're going to do great things. Oh, you're going to explode the church. Oh, it's going to be so great. Oh, my gosh. You know what he says? He starts telling me the bird story. <laughs> and so I'm like, wait a minute, I'm going to get crapped on? What? What's, what's going on? And he says, John, I got one promise for you. I got one promise. God's going to break you. And I'm like, oh, that sounds great. Sign me up. Anyone here want to sign up for brokenness? And it was a very sobering moment. Only one guarantee, God will break you. And sure enough, <laughs> sure enough, God did. Now, look, look, I've been at this church nine years, and it's been amazing. But there have been some painful seasons, okay? Let's just be clear. And I'd call my mentor and I'd be like, hey, man, this is going on right now in the church. Has God broken me yet? And he would just laugh. <laughs> you don't have to ask when God breaks you. You'll know. Click. <laughs> what? What? It's kind of. And then the height of COVID when everything was just chaos. And we didn't know. Going to shut down the school, shut down the church. We had 10 weeks. We didn't even have church. And I'm standing up here with an iPad preaching to Facebook. Boy, that was exciting. I'm having anxiety and depression and things in my life I've never wrestled with. I never wrestled with depression or anxiety until COVID, right? And then I'm like, should I continue in ministry? Should I go sell insurance? Should I sell cars? Should I write a book? Uh, I don't know. It was a very dark time. And, and then I'm like, uh, I, didn't, I got to the point where I didn't have to ask, am I broken yet? Right? Because when you're broken, you know. Right? And that was a year and a half of COVID. So this last week, this woman called me up. She comes to church here. She's a beautiful soul. She says, Pastor John, how do, you, how do you do it? You get up every week and you tell us all these terrible stories about how you failed. <laughs> and I said, well, it's good sermon material for one. But the reason that I tell that is because, look, if God can work through, you know, someone like me, he can work through anybody. That's proof, really. Some of you are proof in our church that we welcome everyone, right? Some of you are. But I'm also proof that God can work through anybody, and God is willing to work through anybody. And so I, would, uh, I told her, I said, look, I've been through the Kareth Ravine. I've been through it, and God has cut me and chipped me and chopped me down and humbled me. Trust me, ministry has humbled me more than anything. Because when I first went into ministry, I thought, 
everyone will love me. This is an easy gig. Get up, talk 30, 40 minutes, sit down, you're good for a week. That's what I thought of ministry. I was so dumb, dumb, dumb. Everyone say dumb. Yeah, that's a favorite part of Renee's sermon. You've got everyone to call you dumb. Yeah. So you're in the Kareth Ravine. You're in that period. So Elijah was there for months all alone. Nobody to talk to, but God's working on him. God's working on him. And he's starting to understand what the Kareth Ravine is all about. A.W. Tozer, the great writer, said this. And this is a tough thing. I don't even know if I like preaching this, but it's interesting. He said, it's doubtful that God can bless a man greatly until he's hurt him deeply. Now, I don't know about that. Maybe part of what it is is we lose the false self so that our real self can come and live for God. I don't know. Anyhow, so those of you who are in the Kareth Ravine, be encouraged. Because the more God breaks you, the more God is preparing you. The more isolated your pain is, the, more, the stronger that season of Kareth Ravine is, the more God's going to use you. That's good news for some of you. Amen? Because some of you are like, I'm in a big pile of crap, right? The cow really dumped it on me, right? Okay? And I need to, to feel like God's going to use me someday. Amen? The second thing, you're, you're not sure about that. You're like, yeah, amen. I'm not sure. The second thing we see through Elijah is God's molding him and shaping him into a man of power. He goes through a season of what you could call total dependence, complete dependence. Verses 4, 5, and 6. This is what God says. Elijah, you'll drink from the brook that I've ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord told him to do. He went to the Kareth Ravine east of Jordan, and he stayed there. Now look at this. I don't like crows, but well, you got ravens. Ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning. Bread and meat in the evening. Renee, it brought him meat. First of all, any vegetarians, I want you to notice what God did here. It brought him some steak fajitas. Praise be to God. God recognizes a man's need for steak fajitas. I had this argument with my wife, Renee. Now, Renee, you know, she weighs like 99 pounds dripping wet, right? Right? I'm the one that's gained weight in marriage, not her, okay? And she goes on these vegetarian kicks, and she's always emailing me articles and stuff and books, and like, it's just healthier for you, Pastor John. It's just healthier for you, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gets to the point, sometimes in the marriage, you know, some guys, they go out of town to go party. I go out of town to get a steak. That's what I do. That's like, that's like I'm sending it up. Woo! Woo-hoo! So, but it's funny thing is, you know what can convert Renee? You would not guess it. Whataburger number one, she's back to it. All right, there you go. Number one, yeah, thank God for Whataburger. Anyhow, so Elijah's by himself, and God does this sort of cocky miracle, right? In the middle of the drought, no rain, no dew even, nothing, this little brook comes up. And in the middle of the drought, Elijah has this steady stream of water all to himself. And then we've got God's heavenly catering service, right? You've heard of DoorDash? Well, this is CrowDash. This is what this is, right? The crows are delivering here. These birds go out and get the finest bread and meat. And every morning they deliver them straight to the prophet. What was God doing? God was very clearly, distinctly saying, no matter what, I'll always be faithful. You can count on me. I'll provide for you. Many of you right now, you're in a season where there was something you used to trust for your security. And it's been taken away. And you don't have anything else to trust in but the giver of life and the giver of all good things. And you're having to learn 
uh, when everything else that you used to believe in will be there, that fades away, that God will forever and always be faithful to you. There's a single mom, I'll tell the true story, a single mom knew this well, she would pray every day, very loudly in her apartment. She lived in a cheap apartment, thin walls, right, thin walls. And so she would pray, dear God, please help me get through this month. Dear God, because, you know, sometimes there's more month than there is money, right? And so, dear God, help me get through this month. And she had this atheist for a neighbor, and he hated when she prayed. He hated hearing it. She'd play the Christian praise music really loud. He got so mad, and so he would come out in the apartment, knock on her door and say, lady, there's no fool. Would you quit? You're such a fool. Would you quit praying to God? There's no God. There's no God. And he was just militant atheist. And so she just, you know, she prayed for him. That's what she did. She prayed for him. And so after about a month goes by and she runs out of money, there's no more food. So she's crying out to God, please, God, somehow, somehow, God, please let me have some, some, some money in the mail. Let me get some way to feed my children. Don't let me be hungry. Well, the atheist heard her prayer. So he says, okay, I'm going to show her. So he goes down to H-E-B and he buys her a bunch of groceries and then he goes and puts them right on her doorstep and he knocks on her door. She opens up the door and she can't believe it. Groceries everywhere. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. She's praising the Lord. She's praising God. Thank God for groceries. And the atheist comes out in the door. He goes, ha, see, you're a fool. God didn't provide those. I bought them for you. There is no God. She looks up to heaven. She says, praise God. Thank you for sending the devil to buy my groceries. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, yeah. Forever and ever and ever, one of the messages of Scripture is God says, I'll be your provider. When you, when you can't depend on what you used to be able to depend on, I'll deliver what you need. And here's the cool thing. You'll notice that God didn't just give him like, you know, two days worth of food. God didn't give him a week worth of food. God didn't give him a three-month supply, right? God didn't send him to Costco. What did God do? God said, here's enough bread, here's enough meat for today. What did Jesus teach us to pray? Pray for what? Your daily bread. Some of you are going to learn that when you're in a season of hurting, when you're alone. Guess what? God's going to deliver enough for today. You're going to have enough comfort for today. God says, I will be your comfort today. God says, I'll be your provision for today. I'll be your strength for today. And you can only live on strength for today. You can't live on it for tomorrow. Your friends may leave you, but God said, I'll be your friend for the day. I may not bring you more than you need, but I'll bring you exactly what you need. I'll be your daily bread. Somebody say amen. And Elijah learns in this season of depending upon God, total dependence. He's breaking him. He's cutting him. He's humbling him. He's teaching him dependence. And when he has no ability to provide for himself, God says, I'll provide. And then the third thing God does is God takes him through a season of what I call unconditional obedience. Unconditional. There's isolated pain. There's dependence. And then there's unconditional obedience. Verse 7 and 8 and 9, the story starts to break down. What is God going to do? Verse 7, the Bible says, sometime later, okay, somebody help me out here. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him and said, go at once to Zephyrah of Sidon and stay there. Now, let's put ourselves in the prophet's place. It's been months that he's been by this ravine. It's been feeding him daily water. He's been getting fed by crow dash. And God told him, hey, the brook's going to dry up now. The birds are going to dry up and you need to move on. In my mind, I'm thinking, God, where are you? What's the purpose of being here? You gave me food, you gave me water to drink, and now 
Now the water's drying up. Now the food's gone. Did I do something wrong? How many of you ever felt like when you're going through a difficult time, you're asking God, did I do something wrong? Yeah. Yeah, what was that? And so he's going to learn the same God who gives the water can take it away. Because often, here's the, the point, God may cause the brook to dry up in your life to give you courage to leave where we are to go where we're supposed to be. Come on. Come on, friends. This is good stuff right here. All right, y'all are just, I'm preaching better than you're receiving it right here, okay? Okay? Some of you are like, oh my gosh, my brook is drying up. I used to be able to trust in my job, but now I'm not sure I can trust in my job anymore. I used to have a nest egg. Some of you are like, I used to have a 401k, and now it's a 201k, all right? You know what I'm saying? Okay? My brook's drying up. I used to be able to trust and have all these good friends, and then boom, my friendship brook is drying up. I used to believe that my good marriage would last a long time, but oh my gosh, it seems like the marriage, the brook of my marriage is drying up. I used to be really close to God, and now it's drying up. A lot of times people will say this. They'll say, oh, God guides by what he provides, and he does. And preachers will tell you where there's vision, God gives the provision, right? That's a great preaching point, right? And God will often guide but by what he provides. But I believe with all my heart God also guides by what he does not provide. Okay, God, the same God who gives water, may cause the brook to dry up to give you the courage to take a step of total obedience, to give you the courage to step away from what you've been leaning on so that you can go where God wants you to be. How many of you have ever thought, well, that, that avenue's dried up and I'm going this way because I have to, and you would have never gone that way until God directed you that way? Yeah, Absolutely. So our church is a classic story. God wanted our church to get online. So before COVID, we would videotape the service, and we'd have it on there Tuesday or Wednesday, right? There wasn't a huge demand for these sermons online. Shocker. <laughs> Anyhow, then COVID hit, all right, and it caused the stream, the stream of people in this building dried up, right, Okay. Uh, and then I was, like, I was like the evil one, right? If I opened up the church, it's because I was trying to kill everybody. Okay, I got, that, I got those emails. And then if I didn't open up the church because I, I didn't have enough faith and I was a scaredy cat, I got those emails too. So I'm sitting there going, how do I respond to these emails? Delete. <laughs> Anyhow, all right. I don't know if you all know this, but... but most people, it's, it's interesting, we do analytics. We have a podcast, we have, you know, we're on YouTube, Facebook, different sorts, although Facebook likes to kick us off a lot. Uh, <laughs> we have more people that are viewing us online than are actually in church today. That will be true this week, because analytics with podcasts and what have you, we have more people that are actually, uh, and some of them actually send us more money than you which is a problem because they don't even have the fellowship or the time or the energy to be here and yet they're tuned in and you get all the benefit of the fellowship and the ministry and the Bible studies and all that. So shame on you. All right, very good. That's my stewardship sermon. So the brook dried up and COVID took our attendance away and now we have a hybrid worship as all churches do. So now God's word is out there more than it's ever been because of COVID. Because churches like us were forced, when that brook dried up, were forced to broadcast. We had to invest $20,000 to broadcast, right? We had to like, oh, 
because we want to reach people. So God says, go to Zephyrah. Now, when Elijah arrived in Zephyrah, he spotted a young widow gathering sticks. The only problem is this widow had no bread. In fact, she was gathering sticks to make a last meal for herself and her son, and then she was going to die. You can almost hear the despair in her voice. She says, I only have a handful of flour, a little olive oil in the jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home. I'm going to have a meal for myself and my son, and we will die. Okay, that is 1 Kings uh, 17, 12. She had no hope. She's at the end of her hope. What the text doesn't say, and I imagine her head hanging low and just warm tears brushing her cheeks as she describes her, her life, Elijah says these words to her when he runs into her. He says, no, you're not. And he looks at an impossible situation because he's been in lots of impossible situations and God's already worked in him. And he says, look, the flour that you have will not run out and that jar of oil will not run dry. Go back and bake me some biscuits. And she does. And they ate biscuits with honey and butter as the way God intended, okay? And the f maybe not honey and butter, but you know. And the flour did not run out, and the oil did not run dry. And that was the beginning of the doxology that goes, praise God from whom all biscuits flow, right? All right, very good. That's a traditional joke right here in the 11 o'clock service. Okay, they ate, and they ate, and they ate for weeks and months. God, again, supernaturally provides through Elijah uh, in unconditional obedience to God. So what does that tell us? The end of your hope is often the middle of God's story. Come on, right? The end of your hope is not the end of God's hope. It's just, it may be the middle of God's story with you. It seems crazy that Elijah provided or got provided for by ravens, but it's just as far-fetched that actually Elijah got provided for through a Gentile woman. This woman was not Jewish. He's Jewish, that's Gentile, that was a big no. And she's a widow, okay? And as a Gentile widow living outside of Israel, she was outside the protection of Jewish law. She would have been a most, among the poor and the needy. She's a single mom who found herself at the end of her supplies and the end of her ability, but God's not limited. God's reason and resources are unlimited, amen? You see right away, there's no lack in God. We have lots of lack in our life. There is no lack in God. And so the widow, I mean, I can just watch her, you know, going in there to the flower jar every time, more and more flower, and she never... She never, ever ran out. So this is good. God will provide guidance when you need it. God will provide wisdom when you need it. God will provide comfort when you need it. God will provide for you financially when you need it. God will provide you grace to sustain you. God will provide you for each circumstance you face. Now, how do you get to that place of faith? Sometimes you have to go through the Kareth Ravine, okay? You don't just land on top of the mountain. You actually have to climb. Faith is no different. There's no lack in God, but there are tests of faith. Okay, there are tests of faith. And God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, as the scripture says, he could have hand-delivered one to this woman, but instead he says to her, trust and obey. Keep making those biscuits and the flour will never run out. And when she trusted God with everything she had, God provided everything she needed. Amen? All right. And so they ate and they ate for weeks and months. God provides supernaturally. Okay, now what's interesting about the story is they're just going along and she's providing, you know, making meals and the flour never runs out, the oil never runs out. And then a tragedy happens. Her, her son, right, her son dies right there in front of Elijah. And, and, and she says, is this God's 
judgment against me because I provided for this prophet? Elijah, did you come here so this would happen? And, and here's what people don't realize. The Elijah the prophet, he knew God was shaping him, and he had been through all the character vein. He had been through total dependence. He had come to complete obedience. And so he does a, a, an interesting thing. He takes her son, who's dead, and carries him up to the upper room, puts, puts basically, it's, it's interesting if you read the story, you ought to read the story. He puts his body on top of him, and it's a way of praying and says, God, I think you can heal this guy. I'm asking you to do it. And God, I think you can raise this dead boy to life. And according to the story, the boy wakes up and the boy comes back to life. Now, again, Elijah was not able to do that until God had led him through seasons of coming to faith, through seasons of being broken, through seasons of total dependence. You cannot do great things for God until God does a lot of work in you. Okay? Amen. And, I, and I've told this story before, but when I was in California, we had a, a group of bikers that came to the church. And, um, and, you know, I fit in into that group easily, okay? <laughs> anyway, the group was called the Rat Bastards. And he came to my office and said, hey, we'd like to meet here. We're a Narcotics Anonymous group, 12-step group. We'd like to meet here at your church. Uh, how much would you charge? I said, Free as long as I can become a rat bastard. He's like, well, you need some leather. I said, okay, I can get leather. Can you ride a bike? Not really. Well, can you pretend? Yeah, sure. So I show up at the rat bastard meeting, 12-step group, Narcotics Anonymous group, and it was a fantastic group. They use the F word a little more than our church members do. <laughs> F words like faith and forgiveness. I don't know what y'all were thinking about. I don't, I don't know what. Anyhow, so I go to the group, and I'm in the group, and there's like 65 Harleys, right, 65 bark bikers in my church. And do you know how much fun it was to say on Sunday morning, especially to the very traditional crowd, and tonight we'll have the Rat Bastard meeting at 5 o'clock if you'd like to join us. <laughs> Did he say bastard? I'm probably getting edited right off of YouTube right now. So anyhow, anyhow, so... They had a rule. The rule in the group was, you were not allowed to talk unless you'd been sober for three years. You weren't allowed to say a word. Now, they let me say some things because I was the pastor. But if you had not been sober for three years, they said, your head's still cloudy. God hasn't worked on you enough in order for you to have anything worth sharing. I thought to myself, this is a great idea for new members in my church. If you haven't been a member for three years, shut up. There you go. I think this is great. I can't get it to catch on. God used the difficult things to shape Elijah into a true man of God. Okay? I'm not saying every difficult thing in your life is from God because they're not. But God can use difficult things in your life. God can use things like COVID. COVID's not from God. Cancer is not from God, but God can use those things to shape you and learn dependence on him and learn that God will provide. Hello? Some of you right now, you're in deep pain, and God's saying, I'm doing something in you because one day I'm going to do more through you. Verse 1, Elijah was described as a Tishabite, okay? 23 verses later, he's not known for where he's from, but instead for whom he's from. He's not known as, you know, Elijah from Corpus. So verse 24, the end of the story, 
this woman of God, he just raised her son from the dead. She says to Elijah, wow, now that I know you are, now that I know you are a man of God and the word of the Lord from your mouth is true. Because when someone brings your dead son back to life, you believe in him. God may allow you to go through the Kareth Ravine one day so someone could look at you and say, now I know, now I see it. You are a woman of God. I see it in you. You are a child of God. I see it in you. You are a man of God, right? And I'll just tell you right now, I praise God for all the pain, for all the shaping experiences, for all the hurt, for all the Kareth Ravines I've been through, all the broken... Uh, brokenness, all the supernatural provision, all the unconditional obedience, because I pray when people look at me, they would not say, oh yeah, that's the preacher guy from Texas, right? I don't want him to say that. I want to say, oh, there's John Roberts. He's far from perfect. We all know he's far from perfect, but we know he loves the Lord and he's a man of God. That's the biggest compliment you could give me. And it should be the biggest compliment for you that you are a child of God and we can see God in you because that's what the woman was able to see. But it's only after a period of being cut down. All right. In order to become a man of God or a woman of God, God will sometimes put you through a refining fire. Sometimes God will put your marriage through a refining fire. Sometimes God will put you through a health crisis that will refine your fire. And, you know, it takes some training. It takes some work. But don't give up. God's still going to provide with some ravens. God's going to provide some brooks. God's going to provide other avenues that you never even expected. The making of a man or woman of God, they often go through the Kareth Ravine. So God can do in them what he wants to do before he does work through them. Amen? All right. I'm out. Time to shut up. Let's pray. God, I pray for everyone in this room. I pray for everyone online. I pray for all those in the Kareth Ravine. I pray in those times, God, where you seem to be cutting off those things that we used to trust, and you're humbling and breaking us, and it's painful, God, but we thank you that through those trials and tribulations that they actually make us more like Jesus. And Jesus who said to us, you know, in this world you'll have trouble. And so God, give to us strength. God, give to everyone who's going through a health crisis right now strength and perseverance to endure the test and the trials and to know that you're going to provide healing. And God, I pray that the refining fire would not burn us, but would burn away all the impurities in our life and make us lean on you and complete dependence upon you. And God, for those who need you today, be what they need today. I pray for those who need your comfort today, you'd give them comfort. I pray for those who need your peace today, you'd give them peace. I pray for those who need strength, you'd give them strength. And I thank you, God, that you provide our daily bread. You provide what we need. And so, God, when the brook dries up, I pray that we'll be faithful to hear your voice. When you take away what made us comfortable to encourage us to go to a new place that we may be obedient to follow. And, God, I thank you in obedience. We'll see your supernatural work. God, I thank you that you're enough today. And we pray this in the name of Christ who taught us as we say now together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not temptation, but deliver us from evil. And thine is kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's stand and close this worship properly with some worship.